Welcome back to Keep Idaho Red Radio on KIDO 107.5 FM, 580 AM, and KLIX in the Magic Valley. Tommy just got to spend some time with uh, Senator Rich, and that was an amazing conversation. And now we're blessed to have a couple more guests. You'll probably remember, Tom, a couple weeks ago we had, we had Mark Meckler and we had Senator Santorum come in and talk about the Convention of States. Remember that? I do. I do. That was a great conversation. And this ties in with that. It does. So now we've got uh, the, the, the uh, we have the pleasure to have Shannon Chambly, who is the legislative director for the U.S. term limits. And she's working in the state legislators in D- and with D- in D.C., right? So she began her political endeavors as an activist in Alabama. She's been uh, the deputy director of the legislative affairs for an Alabama pol- political organization since 2014. She has eight children. She's eight got children. you beat. And she, uh, her, her, and her husband's actually joining us today in the studio as well. And they live in a homestead in beautiful Alabama. So welcome to Keep Idaho Red Radio, Shanna Chambly. Well, thank you for having me. And we also have the state director as well for Idaho. Her name is Carrie Campbell. She's a dear friend and she is a powerhouse uh, locally here in Idaho. So we're glad to have you as well. Good morning to you, thank Carrie. Thank you for having us, Vic. So uh, let's talk about U.S. term limits. So first of all, what is its history? Because we heard a little bit about the Convention of States history. How long has this effort been going on? And um, why is it so uh, Why is it so popular, it seems, with voters? Okay, well, the U.S. Term Limits Organization has been around since 1992. Um, it began its efforts in the, you would remember in the mid or in the nineties, there were 23 states who term limited their own congressional delegations. And then in 1995, the Supreme Court struck that down in U.S. term limits versus Thornton. And so that then began the efforts of what was the Pact for the America and the Newt Gingrich and um, many people who got together then and everybody ran on term limits. And so we were um, really at a point in history where we thought we were going to get term limits on Congress then. And, then they all got in office, and everybody supported different terms, different measures. Nobody would come together on the same page. They split votes, so everybody was able to go back and tell their constituency that they honored their promises and that they just weren't able to get things done. And so then the organization began switching gears just a little bit, and we began working then the Article Five effort so that the states could use their constitutional authority to then be able to bring about a term limits amendment for Congress. And so we've been working on that effort since then. And we do still work on the congressional effort as well. Um, We have Ted Cruz and Ralph Norman who run that for us in um, their respective chambers in Congress. And uh, so we work through state legislatures for Article 5 and also at the federal level. And it polls at 82% amongst voters. And it's the highest polling nonpartisan issue that there is in the country at 87% of Republicans and 83% of Democrats. So, Carrie, uh, when you talk about U.S. term limits... Does that mean the state legislatures? Does it mean the federal only? Does it mean bureaucrats? Like who is who are you trying to actually impose U.S. term limits on? We are wanting term limits on Congress in Washington, D.C. It's the career politicians that are becoming the problem. And because of all of the money associated with them raising from the day they get in office and their name recognition, there's no longer free and fair elections because the incumbents have such an advantage. For example, we were talking in the 22 race in the Senate. Guess what the percentage of incumbents were that got reelected? High. 100%. Wow. And 95 in the House. So 
Tom Luna here, and and thanks for joining us here on Keep Idaho Red Radio. Um, so let me let me ask you the go a little bit deeper because we we see Congress's uh, favorability is you know in fourteen percent, fourteen percent, almost yep. almost single digits, and, and and most people support term limits, <clears throat> but then they turn around and continue to vote for their senator or their congressperson. So talk about how you. How, how we understand those dynamics. Well, theoretically, we would like to believe that term limits are at the ballot box. And I believe that is was an intention of our framers. But we are at a, at a place in society now where 98% of the PAC money goes to incumbents. Um, incumbents at the federal level are able to outmatch their challenger in franking privilege money alone at a, a minimum of nine to one. Talk a little bit about franking privilege because that's a term maybe a lot of people, listeners, don't have, haven't heard before. Well, franking privilege is the ability to use taxpayer dollars for them to send out mailers and informational materials about the district, things that they're doing. So it is it was intended and meant for them to be able to educate their district, but they tend to use it more heavily during an election cycle, and they can even use it for things such as double-sided, colored, glossy mailers that show up and look look just like campaign material. And most voters don't understand that they're actually paying for that. And so that's not coming from grassroots money that was um, brought about by a candidate who was running an election and raising money. So so would the efforts um, stop the, the, the franking privileges then? Is that part of uh, the, the reform that we want to see? Or is it just term limits themselves? No, ours is just term limits in itself. It's just that franking privilege is one of the ways that incumbents continue to hold on to so much power for so long. So yes, uh, if if we got two or three terms or however many terms that we got in the House in the end of it, then yes, for those terms that they were there, they would still have the ability to use the franking privilege for their next upcoming cycles. But they would not be able to do that into perpetuity because they would be limited. I see. Vic mentioned uh, when we were bringing this, uh, opening up this uh, segment that we had Senator Rick Santorum here talking about the Convention of States. And one of their um, issues that they want to focus on is term limits. And then they have a couple others. Um, talk to us about how your work um, kind of coordinates with what they do and also the difference between the, what your goals and objectives are and the Convention of States. Okay. Well, um, the way that it would coordinate is that we are both working through the same mechanism, and which is Article 5 of the Constitution. Um, it is the amending provision of the Constitution, only way by which the Constitution ever has been or can be amended. It's one sentence long, and it gives Congress or the states equal pathways to be able to introduce amendment proposals to this Constitution. So... Um, in order for the states to be able to do something, then we have to call for a convention. Ours is laser-focused on the topic of, of singly being U.S. House and U.S. Senate term limits. Um, the Convention of States Project Organization works on multiple topics. Theirs includes balanced budget. Theirs does include term limits as well, but it's on a broader scale, and it, it, um, I believe that the wording of that is um, term limits on federally elected officials. So it's not as specific as ours is. And uh, then they have one of, about reigning in the power of the federal government. So there's, um, theirs has the possibility of multiple topics and multiple, multiple amendments to come out of it. Ours only has the possibility of one single topic and one single amendment. So using Article 5 then um, uh, and getting enough states to agree, would uh, w- the, your convention of a sta- a states would just be the one topic um, and it it kind of addresses some people's concerns about a runaway convention. Yes. 
um, that that is a concern. Now, um, I will tell you that I do not believe that any con- any Article Five convention can run away. Um, even theirs, although I don't, I don't work toward theirs, and I do believe that the spirit of our framers was to bring forth topics singly, as um, Hamilton addressed in Federalist 85. But um, no convention can run away, and I, I have a few stats to prove that, if you'd like to hear. Go stat away. <laughs> well, um, for instance, we have over 400 applications for Article Five conventions spanning more than 40 states right now, and. We have not yet had an Article Five convention called because there have not been 34 states with aggregating or matching topic matters. So that alone proves to you that it must the call must be on the topic for which 34 states have called for. So if it could be open to anything and do anything, those 400 applications would have created multiple conventions right. thus far. Hey, we're going to take a break. We're going to be right back with uh, Shanna Chambly and Carrie Campbell. We're going to be talking about U.S. term limits. And we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Keep Idaho Red Radio. We're with uh, the U.S. term limits gurus of both the United States and Idaho here. We have Shanna Chambly and we have Carrie Campbell here who um, works with the Idaho effort. Um, let's talk about the process of the, of the Convention of States. Remind people how that actually can be um, brought on by the legislatures. Okay, well, the easiest way to do that would be to read Article 5 to you. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof as one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. And it goes on to say that provided that no amendment shall be made to prior to the year... 1,808 shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article, and that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. So if you had the dreamland, you got this con- convened, Carrie, what is the what is the rule that you want to bring? Like, what is the term limit rule for senators and congressmen right now that you would like to bring to the Convention of States for that one issue? Well, in the current legislation that is in both the House and the Senate, which is uh, Senate or the Senate Joint Resolution 2 that Ted Cruz has proposed, and it is in the House H.J., uh, the resolution uh, 12? 11 this year. 11 this year, yeah. It proposes that there are three terms in the House and two terms in the Senate. More than likely, ours specifically in Idaho, does not call for those specific terms. More than likely, one of the things that could happen is as we get nearer and nearer needing those 34 states to call the conventions for the sole purpose of enacting term limits on Congress, more than likely, Congress is going to act and propose something similar to what they have proposed right now. Uh, So... so it could look different than from state to state. Is that what you're saying? Or they would have to come to some agreement. There is. It has to come to some agreement. Got it. Got it. So, but be, I'm I'm mentioning the congressional term limits right now. Yes. Because theirs does state forth three terms in the House, two terms in got the it, Senate. Got it. Got it. Okay. Let, let Let me shift gears a little bit. So I've always been a supporter of term limits, uh, but 
I still have a couple questions of the practicality of it. So my work across the country with a lot of state legislatures, I see where uh, some states like Florida, for example, have uh, term limits. And it seems to me like if I'm a freshman legislator that there's not a lot of historical knowledge amongst my fellow legislators. And so what they tend to do is they go to staff and lobbyists because they've been there forever. And that concerns me. And so talk about that issue that that seems to play out at times when term limits are imposed, that it seems like it gives a lot more power to um, staff and uh, lobbyists because they have the historical knowledge well, usually my first argument to that is is that the staff and bureaucrats are already running the show everywhere, and it's the elected officials that are allowing them to do so. And it's also the elected officials that have the power to make changes in that. And I do believe that a term-limited legislator is more apt to make changes because they know that they have a limited time to leave a legacy, and then they have to go back and live under what they created. So they're less likely to let somebody control that legacy for them, whereas the people that are there for a lifetime, essentially, um, are willing to let someone take the reins and do things for them and, and while they are dialing for dollars. The legislative body is the one who are supposed to making the rules. And currently, 95% of the legislation is done by either agencies or lobbyists. 5% is done by the legislators themselves. That's why we have the problem. Got it. And um, we've, and there is also a big difference between state and federal as well. Um, it, it's a, an entirely different animal. I mean, you may Absolutely. see even here in the Idaho legislature, you, you saw quite a bit of turnover yes. in this last election because that happens more frequently at a state level. And the federal level is entirely different. And it's, it, it's going to take having term-limited people that will go in and actually make real changes rather than securing their own future in that seat. So talk to us real quick. We've got about a minute or so left about where you're currently at. It takes a certain number of states. I think it's 30, 34. 34. Uh, talk to us where you're at with state legislatures um, passing the, the necessary resolution or law in order to be part of the 34. Okay. Well, um, as you said, it takes 34 states um, currently. And we, our organization on our single topic, we have passed five states. We have passed Alabama, Florida, Missouri, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. And we have passed one chamber, but not the other, in at least five or six other states. And we are we are continually working to get more states on board that, and we are hoping to have it running here in the Idaho legislature in this next session. And Carrie, how can people help you out in Idaho, get in touch with you? Do you have a website? We do. Um, it's usterm.limits.com. Mm-hmm. And my email address is ccampbell at termlimits.com. Pretty easy to, to remember. It is. Well, thank you, uh, Shanna Chambly. Thank you, Carrie Campbell, for joining us on Keep Idaho Red Radio as we explored the issue of U.S. termlets. We're just grateful that you came. And uh, we'll be right back with our last segment on Keep Idaho Red Radio.